this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Tuesday edition of our podcast. Before I I get to a couple of things I've been thinking about uh, over the last couple of days, uh, my mind has drifted uh, towards an old Sunday school teacher I had uh, in Spartanburg when I was growing up, who is the most irreverently reverent person that I've ever been around. He, he was a very, very uh, enigmatic man. And at my church on Sunday nights, people would, um, we'd have this little time where people could walk around and exchange pleasantries and greetings. And invariably, um, some of the older folks in the church would walk up to this man, Mr. Little John, and say, we're praying for you. And his response was always the same. He would say, are you praying for me or against me? That's really not something you ask at church. I guess it's okay to think, but you usually don't verbalize it. But I've been thinking about that since, I, I guess, on Thursday when I started feeling not great. I was losing my voice. So I decided, well, I mean, I hadn't lost it, but I was losing it. So I said, well, let me go to the most spiritual person I know who prays about everything. God recognizes her voice. And that would be my wife, Terry. So I went and said, you know, honey, I, I got to do my show. I got to go give a speech. I got to do my podcast. I'm losing my voice. Or I think I am. Can you, you know, can you whisper a few prayers for me? She said, sure, I'll be delighted to. Well, a couple of days went by. My voice was getting worse. And then three days later, I couldn't talk at all. And then it dawned on me. Maybe she was praying, but she was praying that I would lose my voice. I never specified. I never said, hey, will you pray that I don't lose my voice and feel better? I just, I, to me, it was just kind of assumed, hey, can you pray for me? So now I'm thinking about Mr. Littlejohn. Now I've got to ask, or I've got to be very specific when I say, hey, look, Terry, my voice is terrible. Nobody on my podcast is going to be able to understand me. Would you? Pray that I don't lose my voice. I need to be very specific because I don't doubt she was praying, but she might have been praying, go ahead and take it. Go ahead and take his voice because I am sick and tired of listening to him. But in any event, that's why I sound like I sound. Senator Tim Scott announced an exploratory committee in anticipation of a run for the Republican nomination in 2024. If you have listened to this podcast or watched our show or and know or if we know each other in real life, then you already know my thoughts and feelings on Tim Scott as a person. And so it is therefore understandable that one of my buddies over the weekend would ask about endorsements because it would follow logically, at least to my friend, that because you like someone, you would automatically endorse that person. And the truth is, um, I retired from the endorsement business a long time ago for several reasons, but principally for one, unless I know what issues are most important to you, how could I or anyone else make a recommendation to you for any office? I mean, perhaps I could tell you about a candidate's character or his or her work ethic or where that candidate falls on some of the issues if I happen to know. But unless someone knows what is important to you, 
and the order in which you prioritize the issues, how could I or anyone else possibly advise you on who to vote for? I mean, I'm out of that business no matter what. Altogether, I'm out of it. Even if I knew all that information, I wouldn't tell you. But most often, we don't know that. I, I mean, if national security was the most important issue to you, that might lead you to one candidate. If reducing the size and scope of government is the most important issue to you, that might lead you to another. If someone has a plan for reducing our debt or reforming entitlement programs, perhaps that's what's most important to you. And you would kind of gravitate towards that candidate. We are a participatory democracy, which means we are free to participate as much or as little, I suppose, as we want. And you can participate by running, but many of us have no interest in doing that, or many of us have no interest in doing that again. We can participate by voting, which many of us do. But we can also participate by learning as much about the candidates as we possibly can and matching up what our priorities are with what the priorities of that candidate would be. So for anyone to recommend a candidate to you for any office necessarily assumes, I would argue, that they know what is most important to you and they know the order in which you prioritize the relevant issues. And if they don't know that, I'm not sure how they can or should advise you who to vote for. Now, there are certain things we can look at regardless of whether we intend to support a candidate or not, and certain things we can judge. And one of those is how the media treats that candidate. So because I do like Tim Scott very much as a person, I was paying very close attention to how the media handled the announcement of his exploratory committee. Uh, keep in mind, he is the highest ranking Republican office holder of color in the country. The only black Republican U.S. senator. And we all know how much the D.C. media loves identity politics. I also remember how the media treated Barack Obama and Kamala Harris when they ran for president. Neither of them, if memory serves, had even served a full term in the United States Senate. But nonetheless, uh, they believed themselves worthy of leading the nation. And they met the qualifications in the Constitution, so off they ran. And the media was mesmerized. The media giggled their way through interviews with Barack Obama. They blushed when they asked anything remotely connected to his record. One media personality famously said, Obama sent a tingle down his leg or up his leg. I can't recall which. And I suppose for purposes of this analysis, it doesn't really matter whether it was up or down. But what does matter is how in love with Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, the mainstream media was and largely still is. So if you're going to engage in identity politics and have a crush on two senators who combined did not have a decade in the United States Senate, then you would think that they would also be effusive in their praise for Tim Scott, who actually has more than double the federal experience of Barack Obama and Kamala Harris. But you would be wrong if you thought that might happen. 
many of the questions, indeed, most of the questions in some of the interviews were about another candidate. They were about former President Donald Trump or or the questions were about an issue which has divided this country for over half a century. And that issue is abortion. And that's what Tim Scott got when he announced his run to be the leader of all 300 million plus of us. He got largely, almost exclusively questions about one person out of the 300 million plus. And of all the issues that the next commander in chief is going to confront, almost all the questions he got were about just one of them. You know, as it relates to the former president, former President Trump, of course, the media wants to know why the Republican Party does not move on beyond the former president. I mean, you hear that all the time. Why Why is he still the front runner? Why, why can't Republicans move on? Why can't they leave in the, in the rearview mirror? And meanwhile, they're the ones who cannot move on. Everything they can possibly do, they do to keep the party singularly focused on the former president. One interviewer in particular was with NBC. Uh, The name escapes me largely by choice, but I mean, if I thought long enough about it, I might come up with her name, but I'm not going to. She asked more questions about Donald Trump than all other issues combined, at least at least the part I saw. All other issues combined. So you have this historically significant man would double the U.S. Senate experience of Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, who is saying, you know what? I love this country. I'm going to take a look. I'm not saying I'm going to run, but I'm going to take a look. And almost all the questions are about somebody the media thinks the Republican Party should move past. I mean, you know, I'm going to try not to let this get on my nerves any more than it already has gotten on my nerves. But if I were to really let it bother me, they actually relegate him to a demeaning status by constantly asking about other candidates as if his candidacy alone, standing on its own, is not worthy of attention. You think they did that to Barack Obama? Honestly, do you do you think they did that to him? I mean, for a group who keeps wondering why the Republican Party will not or cannot move on, they seem to be the ones having a hard time moving on. And of course, there were questions about abortion, which has been in the news a lot recently with some dueling federal judicial orders. I'm not complaining that that issue was brought up. It should have been brought up. There were two different federal orders. There's legislation pending before Congress. I'm not sure why you would ask somebody running for president about legislation pending in a state. I guess you can if you want to. It is relevant to ask about legislation pending before Congress, and it's relevant to ask about federal judicial orders because the next president is going to pick judges. So it's not that I don't take issue with the asking of the question. I I don't take issue with the asking of several questions. I take issue with the obsession. And by way of review, Dobbs sent the issue back to the states with a holding that the right to privacy is not listed in the Constitution and the word abortion or reproductive rights, et cetera, is not mentioned in the United States Constitution. The thinking goes 
that if it is not mentioned in the Constitution with particularity, the matter is left to the states. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. Now, of course, as soon as I say that, someone out there is correctly noting the word marriage does not appear in the Constitution. The word children does not appear. Education does not appear. And yet no one doubts that those rights exist. And we're not waiting around for the states to sort them out. I mean, for that matter, the Air Force is not mentioned in the Constitution for really good reasons. They didn't have airplanes back then. But the Army and the Navy is. So for those who say if it's not in the Constitution, we're not even going to think about it. What do you do with marriage and children and education and the Air Force? So the debate rages on, uh, despite the matter being referred to the states. There, there are federal bills introduced that seek to provide whatever parameters the author of that bill thinks should be provided. So what I what I'd love for us to think about, and what I I do think about, is whether or not we're really going to live in a country with 51 different definitions of life. And someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'm taking this to its illogical extreme. I don't think I am. But if you have all 50 states plus Congress weighing in on the issue, then at least in theory, if not in reality, you can have 51 different definitions of life. And is your life defined as beginning at one place if you live in one state, but it's defined as beginning later if you live in another state or born in another state? Or, I mean, honestly, is that is that what we want? I mean, depending on what side of a state boundary you happen, I mean, the hospital happens to be on or the doctor's office or your home. The word life is mentioned in the United States Constitution twice, actually, if memory serves. Again, I think it's in the 5th and 14th Amendments, but I could be wrong. It's been 30-something years since I was in law school. So if I am wrong, I know somebody will tell me. I know for sure it's in there at least once. I'm pretty sure it's in there twice. And here's one place it is. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty, or property without due process of law. So there's the word life. It's in the U.S. Constitution twice. We're not talking about privacy, which is not in there. We're not talking about marriage, which is not in there. We're not talking about children, which is not in there. We're not talking about education, which is not in there. We're talking about life. So if it's there twice, what does the word mean? Well, look, I read Dobbs, understand it. Understand it from a constitutional interpretation standpoint. I just cannot believe that we are going to live in a country where there are indeed 51 different definitions of something as fundamental 
is when your life begins. And therefore, when your right to not have certain things taken, absent due process. So that's what's been on my mind. Hadn't really been on my voice because I can't talk very well, but it's been on my mind whether or not the media is going to treat Tim Scott the same way they did Barack Obama. And of course, the answer was no, they did not. Endorsements in general were inundated with them sometimes. And I just have to stop and think, well, I mean, if you don't know what's important to me, how in the world can you recommend who I vote for, for mayor or sheriff or district attorney? I mean, I mean, got to know a little more than what, primary I voted in last year, don't you, before you can recommend a candidate to me? And on this issue of life, I I do, I get, I get the argument. I'm not saying, I I don't, look, I haven't taken con law in a long time. So I'm not debating, I'm not debating this issue, not with myself, not with anyone else. There are words that exist and words that don't. And there are certain constitutional interpretations to say, even though the word's not in the Constitution, it's so historically significant, it may as well be in there. You don't have to make that argument with the word life. It's in there twice. We're really going to allow 50 different definitions. Now, when it begins, I just, maybe the answer is yes. That's exactly what we're going to do, Trey. Maybe that is the answer. I just cannot imagine that something as fundamental as life and when it begins is subject to 51 different definitions. But that's what I think. What do you think? Let us know. I hope you have a great week. Thank you. And I'm going to go get my wife. I'm going to specify which way I would like her. To pray, and then I'm going to hedge my bets and go see my doctor too, just in case I can't persuade her. And hopefully, I'll sound a little bit better next week. In the meantime, I hope y'all have a great week. Take care. Listen ad free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. 